Okay, that's one of the benefits of being here this morning. You just got to see that live, right? Um, we are starting a new series today. It's three weeks long. And um, I'm going to talk about three different things over the next three weeks that have the ability to warp and distort your lives. Changes the way you think, changes the way you live. And um, this song uh, was picked. It could have been played on any of the three weeks that we've got going because it's such a strong song. I, I love it because there is so much truth that's in it. And did you hear the bass line? I love that. Okay, that's memorable. That was a pretty cool song. But what I want to talk about is how, how it shapes us. That song um, I shared with my wife, I don't know, um, a couple months ago. We knew we were going to do this series. And I let her listen to this song, and she's like, what's blood orange, dude? And I was like, well, you kind of got to listen to the song because there's two different places where they use it. In one case, he said, I want to paint my mind blood orange so that I can sleep at night. Have you ever had thoughts that just race and take over your mind? And, and you wish you, something could come along that would just dull that a little bit so that you could get some relief. And that, that's kind of what he's talking about there. And then he used it in a different way. He said, I wish my mind could be painted blood orange so I could see a sunrise. Like, I feel like I've been so dulled by this experience that I can't even see anything beautiful. I can't figure out if there's meaning or purpose to this. And I need a change of perspective. All of that is kind of in the song. And you can understand why he would need a change of perspective because did you hear the advice that he was given by his friends? Just forget it. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that, right? I'll just forget it. Has it ever worked? The number of times somebody has come to you and said, just forget it. Has it ever worked? We give that advice to people who can't sleep. We say that to people who are hurt. We say that to people who are angry. We say that to people who are really struggling through life circumstances as if the answer is just forget it. But my experience is it doesn't work. We're saying that to somebody whose life is being shaped and distorted by something that has happened to them. And I'm not even convinced that the best thing to do would be to forget it. I'm not sure, that, I'm not sure that's what we want to see happen in our lives. In fact, I would tell you this. Uh, the reason these three things are so difficult is because they're common. They happen all the time. I wish I could tell you a way to avoid them that doesn't exist. And because they're so common in our lives, we have developed common responses to them. And in almost every case, that common response takes us in a direction that is not helpful, is damaging. And I would suggest to you that one of the things that plays out in our lives is we try to just forget it. And we do exactly what that song said. Did you hear how he played that out? 
I feel like a shell of a human, so I put on a brave face so you'll think it's okay. Like, I'm, I'm all right. How many times have you done that? And the question is, does it work? Does it make that thing that was distorting and shaping your life go away? Or does it sit in the back of your life and mess you up? You know, I, I used to think um, that these things, uh, the first one we're going to talk about this morning is rejection. And I used to believe that um, maybe if this was a big thing, it mattered. But, I mean, we face small rejections all the time. And I used to think, no big deal. This is it's part of life. You face rejection, you deal with it. But if it's big, if it's somebody important, if it's something important, if it's a kind of a significant moment in your life and you face a rejection, that's a problem. That's going to be a real issue. I don't buy that anymore. As I was kind of working through this, I realized that if you allow something to happen in your life, it doesn't matter how small it is, and you don't deal with it the way God wants you to deal with it, it has the ability to distort your life. Here's how I know. Uh, this happened to me last month. So it'd been a while. Uh, I used to go and uh, be involved in this um, medical thing where I would donate and it helps people and, and it was all good. I hadn't done it for seven years and I thought maybe I'll do this again. I'll, I'll kick this up. And because I hadn't been so long, I had to go through a medical screening. And I knew that my medical situation had changed. So I got online, I did all my research, and it said I was still eligible. So I went in, and this is, this is a busy place. There's a lot going on. I'm an hour and a half into this process. And I'm finally in a room with a nurse who's going over the medical questionnaire that I had filled out. And she got to the place where she said, okay, you indicated here you've had a new diagnosis since you've been with us last. What's that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm now a type 1 diabetic, and, um, you know, that's been about a year. And she's like, okay, and she asked a few things about that, and, you know, typing away. And then she goes, are you, are you on insulin? And I'm like, well, you're a nurse, right? Yeah, I'm on insulin. I, like, I'm not going to live if I'm not. I'm definitely taking some insulin. And she types away and um, kind of gets up and leaves the room. And I didn't think a thing of it. The place had been, you know, busy the whole day. And uh, three minutes later, she comes in, and she gets right to the point. And she looks at me and says, uh, Blair, because your type 1 diabetes is a permanent situation for you, and because you'll permanently be taking um, insulin, you are deferred from this program permanently. Uh, it, it got awkward at that point. Like, there was nothing else to say. There was nothing else to do. I, you know, kind of stood up, got my jacket on, slinked out of the building, right? And when I make it outside, I didn't just feel rejected. I felt like a reject. Like there was something wrong. I couldn't do normal things that normal people did. And now I'm here facing it. And when I got back in the car, what I noticed was my mind started going to all of these places. And I realized, wait, this is a small thing. 
And yet, my mind started warping. Now, I felt like I've had bigger moments of rejection that have been more difficult, that stuck with me for a long time. I once had somebody of the opposite sex tell me that I wasn't attractive because I wasn't buff enough. And, and the reality was, I looked at the situation, I was like, you know, you're not wrong. Like, I'm, I don't have that shape. I don't have that body type. And when I considered, what would I have to do in order to get to that place? For somebody like me, I would have to change my whole lifestyle. Like, I have to get on protein shakes and be lifting all day, and I'm not even sure it would still show up. Like, I don't know. But that messed with my mind for years because I was certain that that's why I was being rejected by others. Everybody saw this. Everybody thought this about me. This was a flaw that I had that I couldn't get rid of and I didn't know how to get rid of, and it haunted my mind. Now, you might say, man, that's kind of a small thing too. I've faced bigger and reality is I think people have. They've, they've faced bigger moments of rejection where you've dated somebody for five years and suddenly they break it off and they walk away. I, I knew somebody who was waiting at the altar when the person changed their mind and left the building. Met people who've been divorced who had years in in their relationship, and suddenly it's all gone. I've talked to students who had their mind, their heart set on going to a certain school, and they had done everything they could to make that happen. And the school they wanted to go to didn't accept them. I've talked to people who've lost a job they were let go in the, in the sense of rejection that they feel from that experience <clears throat> stays with them. It haunts them. It bites. Talk to people who felt like they were rejected for their looks. They were rejected for their weight. They were rejected for their personality. These are big things. I've, I've talked to a few people who had a small rejection happened in a public space where lots of people got to hear it, and it felt big to them. And you can understand why that would be. These moments have the ability to stick with us. Why is it that you can have a conversation with somebody about a moment of rejection that happened 30 years ago in their life, and they can recall it with vivid details. I found out why. Uh, they've done brain scanning when it comes to rejection, and they found that there's a part in your brain when you get physically hurt that lights up and fires all kinds of neurons. That is the same place that fires all the neurons when you get rejected, except there's one big difference. Over time, what they found is that when you recalled the physical pain that you had gone through, the number of neurons decreased, decreased, and decreased, and you didn't remember it with the same kind of intensity at all. But 
when you recalled the rejection, all the same neurons kept firing at same level as if it was happening in that moment all over again. 30 years later, this vivid moment of rejection is firing everything in your brain. This has staying power. And it's why we have to take this seriously. Small or big, it has the ability to stay with you if you come at it with the wrong response. Now, to help you just a little bit, I want you to see something in the scriptures, and then we'll keep developing this, but I want you to see something that uh, Peter wrote about Jesus. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he's quoting a psalm, and everybody would have agreed the psalm was written about Jesus. Peter was quoting it himself, and in the second part of verse 7, he says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone in a building was a foundational piece. It, um, obviously, it was in the corner. I think we have a picture of it. Yeah, can we show that picture, the next picture? So um, the, that was what everything was set on, and it had to be perfect. It had to be level. It had to be square. And if it wasn't, what happened is as you stack stuff on it, if it was off a little bit, the higher you went, the more distorted the wall would become, and then it would become unstable and fall. He's like, the cornerstone is, like, is everything. And he's using this in an attempt to create a metaphor. And he's saying, for us, for us, Jesus is that cornerstone. What's built on that? Everything. Everything we do, everything we believe, the scriptures that you read, they only matter if Jesus is who he says he is. If not, everything we do is a waste of time. He's that critical, that important. He's the cornerstone, the perfect thing that everything could be built on. And did you see what happened to Jesus? He was rejected. Wrap your minds around that. He was rejected. Jesus is in a position of glory in heaven. He's in the ultimate sense of community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he decides to give that up, come to earth as a baby, live amongst us, teach us, show us what it means to live well, give us instructions, face death, come back to life, turn around and offer you hope. And all it would take would be his death and sacrifice. Now those stakes are high. And you would think if you were going to do something that's that risky, you wouldn't want there to be rejection in the game. Like, the stakes are so high. Why would I pay this ultimate price if you still have the ability to reject me? And it exists because if there's really choice, if you get a choice at all, it means it's possible that I could do all of this for you and you could say no, you could reject me. And that's exactly what happens. Some people have looked at Jesus and said, 
I don't choose you. If it could happen to Jesus, don't you think it's possible that there will be people who will not like you? That there will be things that you want to do that people will say you're just not qualified for? That there will be parts of your personality that just rub people wrong. They just don't like it. Here's the, here's the thing, though. When that rejection happens, it can really mess us up. But somehow, somehow, Jesus knows beforehand, before he even comes, that some people are going to reject him. And he still chooses to come. He completes his mission, and he doesn't appear to be bent, twisted up, distorted by the experience. And I think we would want to know, what in the world do you understand that we don't understand? How in the world can you pay that kind of price that you paid, still face rejection, and not have it distort you? What do you, what do you understand? Now, I want to take you to that, but here's what I've realized I've realized that if I don't at least tell you what the common responses are, you might not be able to identify them so that you can choose a different path. They are so common to us, they are so normal for us, that we don't even think a thing about them. So I want to do that real quick. I want to look at three common responses that we have um, to rejection. Okay, The first one is, we withdraw. We just withdraw. If you want a good example of this, go look at the life of Joseph. He did not get along with his brothers. They did not appreciate him or like him or value him in any sort of way, and he stayed apart from them. Did he go and work in the fields with them? No. He got sent out by his dad to go communicate with them, but he stayed away from them. And sometimes the withdrawal is physical. You withdraw from somebody's presence, but sometimes you can do it mentally. I'm going to be around them, but I'm not going to actually open my soul to this person. I'm not going to invest energy or time into whatever's going on in their life. I'm going to protect myself, and I'm going to withdraw. And it seems like a logical thing to do. The problem with withdrawal is in almost every instance what it does is it isolates you. It causes you to be set apart, which makes you an easy target for God's enemies. Lies can be spun. Reality can be distorted. The story you start telling yourself becomes real to you. That's what happened, by the way, to me when I walked out of that medical facility. I started, in my mind, coming up with all the things that I was going to have to not do, not be a part of, withdraw from in order to not have that kind of rejection happen again. Except God and I had been working on this series, and I, I, all of a sudden I identified that, and I was like, oh my, I need a different choice here. So I, I called my wife on the way home, and I said, listen, this just happened to me. And um, I, don't, I don't like it. And we were able to just talk about it for a while. We were able to talk about what was true without the whole thing being true. Yes, your 
There are things that you will not be able to do now because of the situation in your life. But that is not everything. That, that don't, don't create a story that's not there. And the only way I found a way through that was because I used one of God's, she's in my life, God has placed her in my life. And it's a protection. You know, it's hard. Um, it's hard to be vulnerable even to your spouse at times. But it becomes a protection that God gives you because withdrawing in almost every circumstance is a dangerous thing. It's me and my thoughts against the world. And if you find yourself there, you're in a risky place. Be careful. The second thing we do if we don't indraw is sometimes we embrace. We embrace it. We take, it, we take the identity of that, that rejection and we own it. We can do that positively and negatively. When it came to the, the buff story in my life, I embraced that negatively. I thought of myself as less than, but I defined myself through that. That's who I am. I'm this person who can't look this way. I'm this person that others will feel this way about. And I took it on as my own identity. I know how people think about me. This is who I am. And, and it warped and distorted the way I thought. It was dangerous. Now, here's the, here's the second thing, though. Although that can stir up doubt, fear, all kinds of negative stuff, there's another type of embracing that somebody can do, too. You can, you can embrace and say, yeah, that's exactly who I am, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm better because of it. If you want to look at somebody who did that, go look at Samson. He's violating God's instructions for him. And he sets out to prove that he's the man anyway. I'm going to go attack a bunch of Philistines. I'm going to show you. Like, I'm, I'm going to prove my worth. And people puff up. And they press in. And they prove to you that you were wrong about me. I'm going to prove to you how good I am. And what's weird about this is that this story is not the whole story. Like the story about you, this moment of rejection that you experienced isn't your whole story, but because you let it define yourself, here's what happens. You either live in the shadow of that and it weighs on you, or you live fighting the shadow of that and it weighs on you. But it owns you because you decided to embrace it you decided to become that little part of the story that you were never meant to fully become. There's a third response that's pretty normal too. We seethe. Like we, we simmer and then we boil. And if you want to find somebody in the scripture who did that, go look at the life of Cain. He feels like he was unjustly wronged and rejected. And he simmers and stews and boils, and eventually it justifies him killing his own brother. And if you're thinking, oh, 
I would never, I would never get to the place where I would kill somebody. Remember what Jesus said, that to be angry at your brother in your heart, it's, it's carrying the same type of attitude as killing. And I'll tell you what, I have seethed in different moments of my life, and it generates anger, it generates bitterness, it creates fault-finding and complaining and a critical spirit. These are not things I was meant to live. But I have lived them because I felt hurt by a moment of rejection that made me ticked off. So I carry it. I want you to understand that in, in these three cases, all of them, all of them violate what God has in mind for our lives. I want to show you a different path instead, and I'm going to take you back to 2 Peter for it. In 2 Peter, in verse 4, before he gets to this place where Jesus has talked about being the cornerstone that got rejected, um, he's talking about uh, our lives and how we interact with Jesus. And this is what he says. As you come to him, this assumes that you would go to him, that this would be something that you would reveal, talk to, engage with Jesus about, whatever's going on in your lives. And then it says this about him. He's the living stone. It's a capital S. He's that cornerstone, the perfect one. He's rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious. See, Jesus had this understanding about his life. He knew what God thought about him. I, I know I'm in this place where people are rejecting me. I know I've been given this task and this role, but I also know how my father views me. He's picked me for this, and he feels that I'm precious. Then he goes on. He goes on and says, in verse 5, you also. Now it's about to get personal. You also. What, what about you? Well, did you know that you're a living stone? If God is using Jesus as the stone, as the cornerstone, he's using the rest of you as stones that he builds his kingdom with in different ways. This is how he goes on and says it. They're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's who you are. God didn't make a mistake when he put you together the way he put you together. And when somebody comes along and chooses to reject you, and you change based on that rejection, that moment, the stone that he had created that he was going to build something with gets messed up in the process. Now he's, he can fix that. He created you to be a certain way. You are who you are on purpose. All of it. The, the weird look that you think you have. The hair that you don't like. The personality. 
that sometimes rubs people wrong. This is God's plan. He has a plan, and he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. He's going to build you up. And here's the point. Down in the second part of verse 6, he says this. And the one who trusts in him, the one who trusts in Jesus, will never be put to shame. Randy talked about trust last week. And one of the important things that happens in your life when you decide to trust God is these moments that come into our life. This is what happens when rejection happens. There's a sense of shame that comes over us because somehow we weren't enough or that you didn't see the value in us the way God sees the value in us. And we feel hurt by that. And God says, listen, if you would just trust the way I put you together, if you would trust the story that I'm writing and don't rewrite the story yourself based on this moment of rejection, if you will just trust me, you don't have to, you don't have to be full of shame. That's not part of the story. I have something in mind for you. I have a purpose in mind for you. And because other people can't see it, doesn't mean that I can't. And here's the problem. When we withdraw, when we embrace, when we seethe, we undermine God's ability to be the one who communicates to us who he says we are. No, God, I'm withdrawing. I don't even have time to listen to you right now. No, God, you can't tell me who I am. I've embraced this half story of my life. This is who I am now. I don't care what you say. Or I'm so angry that your words can't even get through to my heart. I want somebody to pay before I get back to listening to what you have to say. And they, they distract, they distort the message that God had for your life. And you know what it is? I have a purpose for you, you were created for it, and you will face rejection along the way, but as long as you stay connected to me, you don't have to live in shame. I'm the source. Jesus says, I'm the source for you to overcome this, for you to deal with it properly. And when you choose these other ways of going about life, of responding to these moments that are really painful. I've done it, I know. They have distorted and shaped my lives for years at times. And what God wants is for you to realize that you are chosen by him and precious to him. You are a stone that he wants to build his kingdom on if you're willing to trust him. You don't get to choose the timing. You get to choose the way. But you get to choose who you trust. And here's what I think. I think it's possible that you're going to be facing some sort of rejection down the road. But I think you already have. It's so common in our lives that I think when I started talking about rejection, a thought came into your mind. A moment. As vivid as you can think. 
So I want to give you a chance to unload that this morning. Uh, Band, if you're going to make your way up here, I'm going to ask the rest of you to just close your eyes for just a minute. And I'm I'm going to ask you, in the quiet of the room, to do some things between you and God right now. Here's the first one. Is there a moment of rejection that just leaped into your mind when I said that? Like you've been dealing with it for a little while now. And you feel like maybe it is defining who you are. Can you, like the scriptures say, just come to him with that right now? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just lay that out before Jesus. Say, this is what happened. This is how I felt about it. This is what it's doing in my life right now. Here's the deal. And just lay it out there. Can you do that? Can you quiet your heart for just a minute? Shut off your mind. I know it's racing. You're considering that thing, that place that brought harm to your life. But I want you to give 30 seconds where you just still your heart and you let the Holy Spirit tell you how precious you are to him. Whatever he has to say to you, will you just take that in? I don't think the Spirit's done yet this morning. I think He wants one more thing to say to you. Just in the quietness of this time, will you let the Holy Spirit tell you that He has a purpose for your life? That you're not a mistake. What He's doing in and through your life, He has purpose for it. Will you give Him a chance to speak to you about that? God, it's easy to feel like a reject in a moment of rejection. It's easy to let that story become our story. But the truth is, uh, we were rejected by somebody who doesn't have the full picture. You do. You see who we are. 
You see how you want to build with us? God, will we take our value from you and stop letting people who do not have the same view of us that you have, that, that view keeps distorting us. Will we set it aside for you? We're not smarter than you when we determine what our identity is. We're harming ourselves. You know who we are. You know who we're meant to be. Call us up. Call us up to that person you created us to be. Because the truth is the only way, the only way to deal with rejection is to go through it. To step into it and fully face it. To find the parts that could be true, but not to let the, that little part be the whole story. You are the storyteller. May we listen to you. May you become the source of our strength and our courage. We love you. We love the fact that when we come to you and we talk about the rejection that we feel, we know we're talking to somebody who experienced it themselves. God, there are hearts that need healed this morning. I ask that you would begin that process. Don't let these moments define who we are. We want you to do that. We ask for you to continue that work in Jesus' name. Amen.